Right before the holidays, I was spending a lot of time online, trying to cram in last-minute shopping for my family and occasionally getting distracted by things that I would like to buy for myself, like fly fishing gear. That's one of my hobbies. But while I was busy comparison shopping and reading product reviews, companies were tracking all of that searching and pointing and clicking. So they're looking at sort of how far you're scrolling. They're looking at what time of day you're there. They're thinking about um, where you are geographically. That's Haley Sukayama, who advocates for data privacy laws with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, a digital civil liberties group. All that information comes together into a profile. And it's kind of interesting if you ever go into your Google ad preferences to see what uh, Google, for example, thinks about you. I used to be a business and technology reporter, and so I read a lot of business and technology news. In my case, Google was actually fairly inaccurate because it thought I was an old man because of the content that I read. I would imagine with fly fishing, um, you, would see, you would see a similar thing. Oh, so Google probably thinks I am, I am an old man. I am the sort of traditional fly fishing demographic? It may. You know, I don't know. It depends on what else you're looking at. On the one hand, some of this can seem harmless. It doesn't matter. I mean, who really cares if Google thinks Haley and I are old men? I might even prefer that they get it wrong. But Haley says it's not so simple. If Google then gives my profile to someone else and looks at, for example, my health insurance worthiness or my credit worthiness, that you know, they may draw inferences from that data that is just inaccurate. Do we know how valuable this stuff is? It's complicated, right? And because Different people's data is worth different amounts of money to different people in different contexts. Information about you know, your health or inferences about your health could be worth a lot to an insurer and not so much of interest to you know, a furniture company. Starting January 1st, the way a lot of companies treat personal data will change. That's because of a new law in California. It passed last year, but it goes into effect New Year's Day. Californians will have the right to see what kind of personal data companies have gathered about them, delete it, and stop anyone from selling it. It's the broadest law like this in the country. And because California is so big, some tech companies are treating it like a national law and changing all their policies. Today on the show, the California Consumer Privacy Act and what it means for all our data. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and this is What Next TBD a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I want to move toward talking about the law specifically. And I guess I have this really fundamental question. This is the California Consumer Privacy Act. Why does it matter if you're not in California? It matters, I think, for a couple of reasons. In, a, in an immediate sense, we have seen some companies, um, namely Microsoft, 
say, you know, okay, California has passed this law. We've updated our privacy policy to comply as best we can with the California law. And we're going to apply that across the whole country. So that's one way. The other reason I think it's important is because California is such a large state and, uh, you know, part of my job is talking to legislatures across the country, state legislatures across the country. Um, a lot of people are looking to California's law as a possible, you know, template or foundation to build on for their own laws. So um, for California to have passed this law is very important because we may see other people follow suit. This law started as a ballot initiative. How did it come to be? So I've only lived in California a few years myself, so I still find it a very strange process of having this ballot initiative where, you know, anybody who has the money and the time to gather enough signatures can get something on the ballot that everyone can vote on. This ballot initiative in particular started with uh, Alistair McTaggart, who is a businessman. I believe he works, he is real estate. Um, and he was at a dinner party with a Google software engineer. And I asked him, you know, hey, are, are, should we be worried about privacy? And this Google engineer looked at me and said, if you just knew how much we knew about you, you'd be really scared. And so he pulled together the money. Um, you know, I think estimates are certainly north of $3 million um, to get this measure on the ballot. And the thing about a ballot in, ballot initiative in California is that if it passes, it's actually very difficult to amend um, legislatively unless you take certain precautions. Which really puts power in the hands of the people. And now we have people opposed against us. We have AT&T, Comcast, Verizon, Google, Facebook. So uh, we're up against some of the biggest businesses uh, uh, on the planet. Um, and yet we have faith that the California voters are going to see through this opposition that these people are, are, are throwing up. and that we It had huge support. You know, I think a lot of people are frustrated with the way that their privacy is being treated by these companies. It came at sort of a sweet spot, you know. Talk of Cambridge Analytica was in the air. Equifax was in the air. So um, you know, people were upset about it. It was polling really well. The legislature, um, as sort of a deal, you know, to say, don't put this on the ballot. We'll put it into law. And because of the unusual process, it is not slated to go into effect until next month, until January 2020, which meant there was a whole year in the legislature where we were fighting over specific provisions of it as well. Your focus at EFF is state legislation. And I guess for someone who has been following this process as closely as you have, what do you see that maybe a casual observer or someone who is looking at this from outside California might miss? You know, we've been hearing about privacy law for a long time, um, and it never came to fruition. Illinois, for example, has a great biometric information privacy law which is being used to to sue Facebook for collecting face prints from people. Vermont has a good data broker law, which, you know, provides some transparency into that opaque process. But there's it had not seemed politically viable to pass a law like the California Consumer Privacy Act. And so to me, what is very interesting about this whole fight is that it demonstrates both people's appetite for, for this sort of law and also pushes companies into a way of talking about privacy law that we haven't seen before. It used to be like, 
don't regulate us at all. You know, we can regulate ourselves. Protecting the privacy of our consumers is in our best business interests. I don't think people buy that anymore. And I think now we're seeing companies say, okay, okay, okay. Like, yes, maybe we need some privacy laws, but let us have a hand in writing them. So after a year of fighting over the specifics of the CCPA, it's finally going into effect in five days. This means changes for consumers and for businesses, and it's a victory for Haley and her group who were supportive of the law. Let's talk about the, like, really granular stuff here. So if you're a California resident, what's going to change in terms of, like, what you see if you go on a website that collects your data? So California Consumer Privacy Act grants three basic rights, which is a right to know what companies have collected about you, a right to ask them to delete that information, and a right to ask for them not to sell that information. So an opt out of sale of that information. Those are, I think, pretty basic and pretty important. You know, when you go on a website, there's going to be somewhere on that website where you can make those requests. And so, you know, if you've gone to an insurance company to get quotes, and you say, you know what, I don't really actually want that information around anymore, that you could go to them and say, okay, I want to delete this. Now, it's still a little bit up in the air about sort of what that has to look like. Is that a link? Is that a button? You know, how prominent does it have to be? That sort of stuff is actually still being worked out by the California Attorney General's office. But, you know, to be in compliance with the law, you would have to have that option um, as a California resident when you see a web page. There are companies that are pushing back. Facebook, for example, says it doesn't technically sell data. And it had already updated its policies after the Cambridge Analytica scandal. As for other companies, I asked Haley to walk me through what they'll be responsible for. Basically, they will have to be able to take those requests and they will have to figure out how to comply with them, which sounds basic, but is actually, you know, that is a lot. Um, yeah. I think companies have a lot of data. They have not had this question in mind of trying to figure out what sort of information they have and what applies to the request. So those are their duties under the law. Um, and so that has been a lot of the question uh, in the past year is sort of, well, how do we interpret this? What counts as information covered under the law and what doesn't? This law applies to companies that meet certain conditions, like collecting the data of 50,000 people or more, or a uh, revenue threshold of $25 million. And and that makes total sense for a big company. Isn't there a risk here, though, of an extremely high burden on a small company? I understand that concern. You know, I really, really do understand that concern. Um, and I think my hope is that um, what, Cal what the CCPA will do is, um, you know, CCPA doesn't actually address much about the collection side of things. You know, it doesn't say you shall not collect this kind of information. But what I hope it will do sort of in a de facto way is make smaller companies think about the way that they collect data and think about why they need to collect data. And so, um, and about the costs of collecting data. I'm certainly sympathetic to the fact that, you know, if all these all these requests are coming in and you are, you know, a small company and maybe you don't have your own legal department, that that could be a problem. But then I would also say, you know, it's it's sort of the cost of doing business with data. Why do you think there has never been a successful push for a federal data privacy law? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> Well, there was a long time in this country where tech 
I mean, obviously more than tech companies collect data, but but tech companies are sort of the the poster children for companies that make money off data. There was a time when they were the maybe one of the only successful sectors in the economy. And so there was a lot of hesitation about putting regulations on these companies. So I think that's one reason, you know, if you look, if you look back to, I started uh, as a reporter in 2010 and we had, you know, lots and lots of conversations about privacy in 2012 and 2014 and 2016. And even at that time, there was still a lot of shine on these companies. And so when they said, hey, this is going to hurt the way that we do business or, you know, we're going to be less profitable, um, politicians were very responsive to that. I also think in many ways, the way that this ecosystem has been set up is, again, to, to be very opaque. And so it is difficult to say with certainty how data flows until you you know you really really dig in and it gets really wonky and really in the weeds and then you sort of lost people so i mean i think the complexity of it does make it difficult to push in a legislature one thing i like about the way that the california consumer privacy act has done it is that it establishes rights to say I want to know what you have about me. I want the right to ask you to delete it. And I want the right to opt out of the sale of that information. Like, those are pretty clear. Those are things that people can grasp. California's focus on individual rights is in line with another sweeping privacy law, Europe's General Data Protection Regulation. Beginning in May 2018, the EU started enforcing the GDPR, which gives individuals control over their personal data. I think about the messaging in America and the messaging in Europe where GDPR exists, is there a fundamental difference maybe between the way Europeans and Americans view data privacy? There is something there, right? Um, Certainly the way that Europe, from a regulation standpoint, treats data privacy, you know, they really view privacy as a human right. I also think there are some interesting um, things about the differences between GDPR and the way that we look at privacy law in the U.S. um, in terms of how it intersects with the First Amendment. So if I say something about someone else online and then they want that information to be deleted, that comes into an interesting intersection with my First Amendment rights, my free speech rights, right? So there are some values that Americans hold that are different that I think also affect the way that we can look at privacy regulation. So they, I mean, I think it is fair to say that that we look at it differently. Um, and in some ways, as a privacy advocate, I like the way that Europe sort of grants privacy, you know, as a, as a baseline, like, yes, this is a right. But there are complications with other values that I hold very dear as an American. When you look forward, do you see any of this changing in the future? Do you see a time when Americans would say, yeah, we want a great big privacy law here? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, the peculiar way that California got into law itself demonstrates, right, because they were able to collect so many signatures of people who were saying, yes, I absolutely want these really very basic privacy rights. You know, again, we're seeing that happen in state legislatures across the country. We're certainly seeing a lot of drafts come out of Congress addressing data privacy, some of which we like more than others. This is more discussion and more serious discussion than I've seen in a long time. And I think 
privacy in many ways is a bipartisan issue, um, that rarest of things, right? Where uh, you do see people motivated, whether it's, you know, saying the way that data is collected and used furthers civil rights abuses. There's sort of the more conservative or even libertarian argument that it's like, you know, I just don't want anybody looking at what I'm doing. It's not a super partisan issue. There are a lot of, there's a lot of room for a lot of viewpoints uh, to be pro-privacy. Haley Sukayama, thank you so much for talking with us. Thanks for having me. Haley Sukayama is a legislative activist at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Okay, that's the show. What Next TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and hosted by me, Lizzie O'Leary. And it's part of the larger What Next family. Mary and her team will be back on Monday when they'll be checking back in on a few stories they reported on over the past year. And then they'll be back with a brand new show on January 2nd. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Thanks for listening. Talk to you all next week.